Mora conducts physician-led support groups, helping people live healthier, happier lives, free from chronic diseases like diabetes, hypertension, and obesity. And on our podcast, Health and Mora with Dr. Lori Marbus, we bring to you nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests to empower and inspire you with their knowledge and stories of plant-based lifestyle so that you can be your healthiest self. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus. Marbus. Wow. I can't even say my own name today. Um, (laughs) We'll see. I'm about to, let's see. Let's try not to butcher my guests today. Um, We're so excited to welcome back for a second time from Plant Based on a Budget, Tony Okamoto. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm so looking forward to chatting with you today. I know it's been about three, four years since we last spoke. I can't believe the podcast, well, with different iterations, different names for the last seven years. This We're done though. This will be a health and more, is it? It was Healthy Human Revolution last time we spoke, but um, I'm really excited about your new book. You've got a lot of stuff going on, but I really think it's important just to kind of share just, you know, a, a synopsis of your kind of plant-based journey and what you'd like to share um, cause it's, it's a, it's a nice story. So I feel like people should hear that. Thank you. Thank you so much. And again, a pleasure to be chatting with you. I really appreciate it. I started my plant-based journey way, 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 way back when it's been probably about 20 years, uh, since I first took my initial steps toward eating more plant-based. And at that time I was running track and my coach suggested that I stop eating so much fast food and so much processed food. And specifically he wanted me to cut back on my red meat. He was concerned that I was getting sick after practice. And it was really shocking to me because I had never thought about food in a way that was about how it fueled me. It was all about taste and convenience and just getting me a full belly. And so that was really the very beginning of me understanding how food could be. And I had two different parts of my childhood before that. I grew up with my grandparents. Uh, My dad was a teenager when I was born and he went to the Navy shortly after, or, or yeah, shortly after full time. And so I lived with my grandparents and my grandparents were retired. My grandpa was a very involved in the Japanese gardening community or gardener community here in the Central Valley of California. So I did have access to fresh food and my grandma did cook from scratch. But then I went to go live with my dad when he came back from uh, deployment and we lived the total bachelor life together. And we were eating things like uh, canned chili and hot dogs and hamburger helper. And he was so busy. He, uh, he had uh, my younger brother who's nine years younger and then me and uh, was working full time to give us a really great life. And so he really did his best. uh, But that meant a lot of easy, convenient, and more processed foods. So that was the, the before uh, what it looked like in my life. And, uh, and then I just continued on, I really began to thrive as a runner. And I remember first telling my parents that I was going to be eating less, and then no red meat. And they could not believe that God had forsaken them with a hippie dippy child like me. They were like, what did we do? How did this happen to us? And little did they know that in the years to come, I would be fully vegan. 
<laughs> I'm curious, has um, any of your hippy dippy ways rubbed off on your family? <laughs> well, I celebrate all small changes. I am all about incremental small changes. And so every time my parents choose a plant-based meal when we're together mm. out of respect for me or uh, where, where they accommodate me, now it looks like um, at, at a meal, everything will be plant-based except the protein. So for Thanksgiving, I know I can eat all the sides or when I'm going to breakfast there, there is a lot of stuff that I can eat because they're more understanding and thoughtful. And they also realize now, and they didn't back then, that this is not a phase in my life. This is uh, my whole <laughs> life. So they are much more, much more likely to accommodate me now than ever before. And um 20 years the, and so many books later. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yep. I actually remember the change. It was mm. when they came to visit me, I was working at a farm animal sanctuary and they came to visit me at work. And I think it clicked for them that this was a whole lifestyle. It wasn't something that was about only food. It wasn't about a certain phase in my life. It was my future. And I, I vividly remember watching the wheels turn in their head mm. and having them accept it. Mm. Yeah, nothing like an animal sanctuary to yeah. really bring home the message. Uh, I'm on the board of Love and Arms in Colorado. It's an animal sanctuary in the Boulder area. Yeah, it's 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 such a lovely place. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's amazing. So then, tell us a little bit about the plant based on a budget. Like, how did that get started and what are the things that you've seen grow in, in the 20 years that you've been plant-based? I'm just so curious for people who've done this for a long time, things that they've seen shift in culture and their own lives. So after I moved out of my parents, I became a vegetarian and I didn't really know what that meant. I, I knew it meant not eating meat, but I didn't know that there was chicken stock or chicken and chicken broth. And I didn't think twice about picking the pepperonis off of my pizza. Uh, and so once I learned a little bit more about food in general, it helped me make a big shift in my life. And the real big driver of change was when I took an animal ethics course in, uh, in at my community college. And there was one third of the course that was dedicated to animal ethics. And as extra credit, she suggested that we go to a veg club. So you just show up at the veg club, stay the whole time and you get extra credit. I did it. I did not care about being a uh, fully vegetarian and, and then vegan. I did not need anything more than the extra credit, but I really, really loved it. It was so cool to meet like-minded people who were my age, who had similar obstacles and I kept showing up. And then we visited an animal sanctuary and I watched people who faced similar struggles, who were on a budget, who were culturally tied to their food, who didn't have a lot of um, resources like cooking equipment at their house. And yet they were still trying this plant-based vegan thing. So I said, you know, if these people can do it, I can do it too. Mm. And it was so fun. We learned to cook together and brought me to a place where I felt comfortable on my own without my friends being plant-based. And uh, I learned how to cook around that time by checking out different 
library books, library cookbooks, and I did not have a lot of money. I was very much negative money. And the whole early part of my adult life was lived, it was definitely below the poverty line in a, and in a lot of debt, mm-hmm. uh, but I was still managing to eat well. Meanwhile, my family, they were not doing so well. Some mm-hmm. people had type two diabetes that resulted in multiple amputations. And it later claimed the life of my aunt, my grandfather who helped raise me died in, um, in a triple bypass surgery due to complications. My 40 year old uncle had a heart attack. It was really, really awful. And when you're in that position, you feel like, oh gosh, I have to do something. And I started compiling my family's recipes on plantbasedonabudget.com. And at that time it was, it was only recipes and it really caught on. There were a lot of other people who were budget conscious for many different reasons and wanted to eat healthier and wanted to provide their children with more vegetables. Maybe they weren't necessarily trying to be 100% plant-based or vegan or vegetarian, but they know that they wanted to incorporate more vegetables. And so that's, that's how it all started in the very beginning. That's awesome. And how did you decide on plant-based on a budget? You just like Googled like what was available URLs or domain names and. Well, back then I could have really chosen anything. I've had plant-based on a budget now for over 11, 11 years. And so, uh, it was not as competitive to find a vegan blog. And, (laughs) uh, and at the time there was no one else who was talking about the finances of eating mm. plant-based. So it, it was easy. I liked, I liked how it sound sounded. And also I remember a couple of people being like, that's really long. Are you sure you want that as your URL <laughs> plant-based on a budget? <laughs> and, uh, and I'm glad I did it. I have no regrets. Yes, absolutely. Perfect. And so then what was the the starting point of the first book, and then tell us a little bit about all the books and everything you're doing. Then we'll land where you are with your new book that's coming out March 7th. Thank you. Okay. Well, a little bit before books happened, I got to know my audience and Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of different surveys. I've chatted with a lot of people. I feel so grateful to be included in the lives of so many people and they trust me and my recipes. But one thing that I found early on is that recipes aren't enough. So Mm. many people don't know how to go grocery shopping and stay disciplined and how to put different meals together in a week that complement each other and use the same ingredients and don't have you buying all of these ingredients that have nothing to do with all of these ingredients in this recipe. So I started meal planning for people Mm. and around that same time, this was about 2013, there was something called the snap challenge, which showed, um, celebrities and government officials and, um, YouTubers and how they were eating with the allotted amount of government assistance for food. And it's not a lot of money, but I didn't find anything that I thought was really smart and thoughtful mm-hmm. and inclusive of, of plant-based eaters. And so I created something similar. It was called the plant-based on a budget challenge where I said, I'm going to take this amount of money. And in fact, I'm actually going to ha- take 
only half of that. So at the time it was about, um, it was $180. I said I could get it down to $100 a month for people to then include the things that they enjoy eating on top of what, of what, what I planned for them. And I had a few thousand people sign up for my challenge. It was so cool. And it then landed me in the documentary, What the Health. And that was really when Plant Based on a Budget started to get a lot of traction. From mm. there, I started writing books. I have um, the Plant Based on a Budget cookbook. I have the Friendly Vegan cookbook. And then this one is called Plant Based on a Budget Quick and Easy. I also have a podcast and I try to create as many resources as possible for just helping people eat more plants. And I feel like I've created a really inclusive environment where even after all of this time, I've surveyed my audience and 65% of people say that they are not vegetarian wanting to eat more plant-based. And so mm. um, even though I'm vegan and that's really important to me, people feel comfortable and safe in my space to give it a try, see what it's like. And it's, it's really an honor. Mm, I love that. And I love that you're you're so humble about the the resources, but just generally enjoying the the company of your audience. Um, so yes, it's the same thing as as a physician, right? You meet people where they're at and try to provide as much as you can to get them in a healthier state or you know meet their goals. So that's fantastic. Um, so as far as you know, the plan based on a budget, quick and easy. It's about kitchen efficiency, and um, tell me about what recipes make a make you efficient in the kitchen? Are there other things that we need to be thinking about that make us our time in the kitchen, not only delicious, but also time management uh, friendly? <laughs> I think the, the really important place to start is by assessing your time and your money and seeing where you can spare some here or there. When I wrote Plant-Based on a Budget, the first cookbook, I did not have a lot of money but I had more time. And so I found myself wanting to cook my beans from scratch, make pizza dough from scratch, make bread from scratch. I had that time and I, I was able to save so much money and I actually used my food to get me out of debt, like to be really thoughtful and smart about the money I spent in the kitchen and to eat, eat well still and prioritize my wellness. Uh, but I also was able to save so much money by cooking from scratch. Now I find myself very time strapped, but also still budget conscious. And so mm -hmm. I, I weigh what I want to cook from scratch and what I want to purchase. Like an example of that would be beans. I always have beans that are stocked in my pantry now in the can. I buy low sodium pinto beans and I keep them stocked in my pantry, but that is about a dollar 25 for 15 ounces. Whereas you can buy a pound of dried beans, which will triple in size. And that's going to be a dollar 50. So it's, a huge value to cook them from scratch, but I just don't have that time right now to always make that my first option. So those are the types of things that you're going to want to consider when you're assessing how much time or money you want to invest into your food. And then uh, meal planning, that is something I will 
sing from the mountaintops forever. It has saved me personally so much money, but I've also watched it help countless people as well. And when I talk about meal planning, it can really look about, it can really look in, in many different ways. And this is something I cover in the book. There are people who are very, very, very into meal planning and meal prepping. They have color-coded spreadsheets and everyone knows exactly what and when and how uh, they're going to be eating for the week. That's not me. I'm a very lazy cook and my style of meal prepping is a mix and match bowl style where I'm doing a grain, a protein, a vegetable, and a sauce. And some of those can be store-bought. I'll have um, maybe store-bought baked tofu or um, store-bought canned beans for my protein. Or if I'm really feeling like I have time, I'll make a big batch of lentils or split peas or something like that. Then vegetables, you can go buy fresh vegetables, you grow fresh vegetables, or you could buy bags of chopped pre-washed uh, vegetables that are frozen or fresh. So it really depends on your time and how much you, you think you can realistically put into your meals throughout the week. And for sauces, I make my own sauces, but you can also buy different dressings at the grocery store. There are a lot of healthy options. And, uh, and then grains, my go-to is definitely quinoa because I have a pressure cooker and it is cooked in five minutes and you can't go wrong with that. It's such a good, such a good time. Uh, it's, it's such short amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So what are your favorite sauces that you like to make? Because I feel, you know, we, I've talked a lot about the similar thing. I'd like to do grains or bean vegetables and then the sauce, I feel, makes it from Indian one night to Mexican yes. the next night. It's all the same. And um, what are some of your favorite homemade sauces that you include in your new book? I love a good peanut sauce. I like a good peanut sauce because you can do so much with it. You can put it in a stir fry. You can make a noodle dish. And I like, I like noodle dishes a lot, but I grew up eating top ramen and I still use instant ramen noodles. Sometimes, uh, they are super affordable, uh, for people who are on a tight budget and you can mix in tons of veggies and tofu and a nice peanut sauce and make it a more elevated meal. No longer are we just using that like high sodium packet. We can toss that out, uh, and, and still have a, an affordable, delicious, inexpensive meal. Uh, so peanut sauce, I love a tahini sauce. So, so good. And that's something that you can flavor in many different ways. I love a cashew cream that you can make a little bit sour or you can make sweet. Uh, those are very versatile as well. What do you put in your peanut sauce? I have two versions. I have the dressing version that's got, um, some vinegar, but the, the one that I make the most often without vinegar is this it's uh peanut butter and soy sauce, garlic cloves, uh, water to thin it out. Um, sometimes I'll throw in some ginger if I have it on hand. Then sometimes if I want a tang, I'll put in a little bit of rice vinegar and, um, sriracha definitely. Mm. Uh, and I keep it pretty simple. Okay. Awesome. And do you ever add like little maple syrup to sweeten it or anything else? Or do you tend to like the 
the more savory? I have, but my husband is like, I would, I would call him a very, very healthy eater. He does not eat uh, sugar oil or salt. And so when we do things, I usually make the big batch that doesn't have those things. And if I want to add it, I add it in just a little bit in my own portion, my own serving portion. (laughs) So then let's talk about tahini because tahini is so versatile, but it does have a very distinct flavor. So how do you change the flavor profile on your tahini dressings or I make it very, very similarly uh, as I do to peanut sauce. So I use a lot of those um, same ingredients and that I probably would add a little bit of agave. Mm, Gotcha. Gotcha. And so what are your, besides the quinoa, which you mentioned in your pinto beans. So what are some of your favorite recipes that you really enjoy or utilize a lot in the, in the newer book? Um, I really um, have been loving this casserole that is chili on the bottom and then cornbread batter baked on top of it. It's really hearty and I'm always cold. So (laughs) it's a nice meal to comfort me and it's really cozy. I, I also have been liking when I'm in the kitchen double batching on something and then using that same ing- uh, that same recipe to make something totally different. So you can mm-hmm. make chili one night um, and serve it with some brown rice and some uh, cilantro and fresh chopped onions on top. And then the next day you can turn it into um, your leftovers into a small corn roll, oh, sorry, cornbread chili casserole and mm-hmm. have a different dining experience. Wow. So I love chili because I grew up in New Mexico and, and, uh, all sorts of, uh, enchiladas. That was fun. I, and I feel like that's kind of where <clears throat> culturally speaking, um, you know, I am, I am white and American, but I grew up in a very Hispanic rich environment. And so I love those foods and taking those recipes that were handed down generation to generation and turning them into healthy plant-based was one of the things. So what do you recommend for patients? So that's how I refer to people, to individuals who are looking at your book and saying, okay, but I come from the Middle East or I come from somewhere else. How do I take my traditional recipes and make them healthier? Where do you begin to do that? Is there any across the board things that are very helpful or replacements or something? Well, I know that when I created the recipes, I am culturally Mexican. I grew up um, with in a, in a Mexican-American community and with um, my dad, who's Mexican-American. So I really love those flavors and they're mm-hmm. so comforting to me. So I did in, in this new cookbook include some recipes that I really love, like something called sopa de fideo. It is like a angel hair pasta dish that is broken up. The angel hair pasta is broken up and it's kind of soupy with a tomato base. And I put in black beans and onion, garlic, and zucchini. And it's very hearty and delicious and so cozy to me when I eat it. I just feel like I'm back with my grandma as a child being wrapped in a warm hug. So that's how I do it. But Now there are so many resources available for people. Maybe it's not my book, but there are many 
whole brands that are geared towards specific cultures. So if you do your homework, go on a, on a quick Google search, you, there are full cookbooks that are Chinese cookbooks or Middle, Middle Eastern cookbooks or Italian cookbooks. There's one that I just saw that um, was, uh, gosh, I forget. I heard her, I heard her on uh, NPR recently. She, it's a vegan Chinese cookbook. I forget oh. the name. I'll let you know it in case you want to link it, but it's getting all kinds of rave reviews. So there awesome. are a lot of other cookbooks that are specific to authentic, uh, or they honor authentic food, but make it vegan. Mm, that's great. And so as far as when someone goes shopping, um, what are some of the ways too, because you were mentioning buying <clears throat> bulk dry ingredients and, you know, versus canned and is there anything else in the shopping experience that we should be looking at or staying consistent in the healthier aisles? Like, is there anything on label reading or anything like that that you'd like to recommend? I do. First, make your grocery shopping list and come full. Don't come hungry because that will lead you to many impulsive purchases. And also understand that when you're at the grocery store, there's a lot of marketing designed to get you to buy impulsively. Uh, there are beautiful colors, there are big giant sale signs right when you walk in and at the end caps and near the register. Those are often paid placement and you want to be just conscious of it. And if you see a big sale for canned beans, for example, you're still going to want to go to the canned bean section and make sure that you're getting the best deal. And don't look only directly at eye level, just search the whole bean section and likely it'll be the store brand and you're going to look for price per ounce. Some other things to consider are purchasing in bulk. And what I like about bulk is that it, I've been at different ends of using bulk, buying only what I need and could afford at the time. So literally taking my measure cups, measuring cups to the down, the downpour, uh, bulk bins and filling up exactly what I needed. This helps prevent food waste too. So if you know, you're not going to use it, you're only buying what you need, uh, to now I am a professional cook. I go through ingredients so quickly and I go buy 20, 30 pound bags of, of beans or rice because I will use them within the next few months. So I appreciate bulk for both, for both ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so what are some of your favorite grocery stores, at least familiar with those in California? Well, I want everybody to not dismiss any grocery stores that seem unassuming on the outside. Maybe they don't look like they would be the most plant-based friendly, but that doesn't mean that's true. And one example for that for me here in California is a store called Winco. It mm. is a big warehouse grocery store and it just doesn't look like a very inviting place. But when you go in, there are aisles and aisles and aisles of bulk bins. And the bulk bins have really high ingredients, uh, high quality ingredients, like they have Bob's Red Mill in the bulk bins. And they're much, much, much cheaper, cheaper than if I were to go to Whole Foods. So 
I like to go there once a month and put in my big grocery order where I'm buying things like frozen produce or onions or um, dried ingredients that are going to last me the month. And then I do my regular weekly grocery shopping at Sprouts, which is, um, it has a lot of great opportunities to get sales. Mm -hmm. If you have a Sprouts near you, you can download the coupon app and they always have great stuff. And what's cool about it is that when I was younger, coupons kind of led people to buying things that they didn't need. And sometimes it's still the case, but a lot of times I'm finding if you buy three avocados, you can save 75%. Sorry, sorry, 75 cents. If you're buying uh, five bananas, you can get 30 cents off. And that is so cool because I'm going to buy those things anyway. And now I can save some money. And also it's no longer embarrassing to, I remember my mom had her accordion folder of coupons and you had to like sift through them. Uh, it's no longer embarrassing. All they have, all you have to do is scan your barcode at the scanner, right at the register. And it's discreet. It's easy. All of the money is taken off because you've clipped them at home and you, you save money. And then also they do double add Wednesdays. Mm. We're on Wednesdays. You get the sales from last week and the upcoming week. Oh, wow. And, and so if you shop on Wednesdays, but get to know your grocery stores, see what ways you can save money there and check out grocery stores that you, you're skeptical about. Just walk in quickly, uh, do a tour and maybe you'll love it. So is Winco like Costco where you have to have like a membership or is it just walk nope. in? Yeah. Oh, wow. You just walk in and okay. get to save a lot of money. I have not been in a Winco. There's only two of us at home now. All the kids have left. So it's, it, that was a transition is uh, not cooking for growing people anymore. Um, <laughs> so I was like, my husband's like, why are you buying so much? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't stop myself. Um, so there's that piece too, is, is uh, planning for different sizes. So your recipes, are they easy to manipulate for numbers or decrease for just one person? Yes. Um, all, all of those things. I lived by myself for a very long time. I cooked for myself and now I cook for two, but really I'm always batch, batch cooking. Mm -hmm. So I'm double tripling, uh, doubling or tripling a recipe so that I can have leftovers. And it's really simple. My, my recipes are made to save money, which means there are not a lot of ingredients in them. Mm -hmm. um, I have them structured in plant-based on a budget, quick and easy, my new cookbook in three sections. I have the written recipe that is going to be very simple. Then I have optional additions and swaps. So if you don't have kale, but you have spinach, you can swap that in. Or if you have all of these spices on hand, which can be a little bit expensive, but I know that people keep a lot of spices stocked in their pantries. If you have those on hand already, I would add these amounts to make it even more flavor packed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then the other part of it is I keep blank lines and my tips so that people can write in their own changes to my recipes. 
that's how I learned how to cook. I used recipes as guides. I turned non-vegan recipes into vegan recipes. I went to the library and checked out books and, and I was on a tight budget. So if I couldn't afford the $6 spice jar, I replaced it with one of these things. Mm. And I want people to play with their food and to feel empowered to switch things up and not rely solely on what I've provided for them. Mm. I love that idea. Um, I like the, also the spices that come mixed, like a Mexican mix or, because then that you don't have to buy the individual and go ahead. I was going to say, you'll see that in my, my cookbook, especially with taco seasoning. It's so inexpensive. You can get a taco seasoning packet and now they make them with, with low sodium or no sodium, uh, for 45 cents, 50 cents. And I also show how, if you wanted to do it yourself and make your own blend, that's an option too. But if you don't have that time or you don't have all of those things stocked already, it's so simple to just Mm -hmm. buy a taco seasoning packet. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's definitely time and <laughs> measuring out the individual. But I know sometimes if, even if I make my own, I'll make a little container of the combinations of stuff yep. that I'm utilizing a lot. Cause I don't have to measure it out each time. Um, one of my other favorite things is soy curls. Do you use soy curls? There's something I, about soy curls. I just love them. <laughs> I wish I was in my kitchen right now because my husband and I went on a trip <clears throat> maybe two weeks ago. And there was this restaurant there that used soy curls and soy curls are old school. If you've been vegetarian for a long time, and my husband is, I think he's been vegetarian for nearly 30 years. Uh, He has been loving soy curls for a very long time. But now with all of the other stuff, he, he had forgotten about them until we went to this restaurant. And yesterday we got this big giant box and I was like, what is in this box? And it was like, bags and bags of bulk soy curls. So I, I am about to start really loving soy curls because we have so many of them. They're so versatile. Oh my goodness. Cause I, I will buy, you know, when I had the kids at home, I'd buy like the larger box and, but now I, I try to get, I think I get six bags at a time thinking about doing 12, <laughs> but I'm reading them almost daily, if not, you know, at least three or four times a week. Um, but I put them in all sorts of things and their soy is so good for you. Um, health wise. I just love it. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, but, uh, another question that often comes up (laughs) is, well, what can I do, you know, for my family who is, you know, cause not everyone in the family necessarily is plant-based. So we have folks who, are refusing to eat strictly whole food plant-based and there's others and they're like, I feel like I have to make two meals. Any thoughts or suggestions to help people who are kind of dealing with mixed palates in the family? Well, I mentioned, I mentioned that's my house. It's, it's very different because we're, we're both plant-based eaters, but he is much more strict than I am. Mm-hmm. And I showed one workaround, which is make something that is more bland and then at the end flavor it. So what that would look like is if I do a, a pasta and a, so- a, a more bland sauce, then he will take it and add in a bunch of the stuff that he likes. Uh, I also, when I'm, when I'm cooking for both of us, I don't use oil because he doesn't eat oil at all. So, uh, I would say, 
the base would be pretty plain. And then you can add, add to it. Once you go your separate directions, we actually do this on pizza night too. We like to make our own pizza pizza. We'll have the same dough, but then all the toppings are different. I, <laughs> I would, I would not mind putting vegan cheese on mine, but uh-huh. he would put nutritional yeast on his and, um, and yeah. he, he would put soy curls on his, uh, <laughs> so that that's what his would look like. Soy curls on pieces, the whole, <laughs> all right, that's the next try. Cause you can crumble these before you rehydrate them. I that's use them like in oh, chili. I just had, I, oh, I love chili. So I put some, oh my goodness, chili in the soy curls. Anyway, tacos, you could crumble them and then rehydrate them. So it's almost like a meaty texture. It's so easy, guys. <laughs> I should buy stock and butler. <laughs> um, perfect. And then as far as any, what about, because I know I've, I've done some things on helping patients, uh, patients, people uh, join, uh, you know, work in the kitchen. I almost feel like there's a flow as well. And you know, one food waste is a big thing. What are you utilizing your leftovers for? But like storage of food, that also will help, you know, retain the life of your food. Like, do you have any of those tips or where maybe things should be placed for the feng shui of the kitchen, I guess? I don't know. What what would be your suggestions there? I I, I cover this a little bit in my book, especially the prep, the food storing of greens, Uh, before I knew how to store them properly, I remember my husband called our home, the place cilantro comes to die. Like you would bring it in the door and it would just wilt and be sad and soggy. And so learning how to store my herbs and understanding that it's not a one size fits all was very helpful. Um, I, I do we'll say cilantro, like a bouquet of flowers. I'll cut the ends, put it in a glass of water, keep it in the refrigerator. You can put a bag on top if you want to. Um, but spinach on the other hand, or basil, I store them in an airtight container with, um, paper towels on each side. So it's, it's not a one size fits all. And you have to do a little bit of research. I tried to lay out as many as I could in the book, but there are so many different types of produce and different ways to store each of them. So, uh, and one thing I do want to highlight is that you could just simply toss things in the freezer too. Like there will be a bag of spinach in the freezer that in the refrigerator, and I don't have time and I see it, it's starting to get a little bit wilted. I'll just take that whole bag and drop it in the freezer and I'll get to it when I get to it. And that prevents it from going bad. It prevents me from wasting my money and, uh, and it works just as fine in a stir fry or a smoothie or a soup. And it didn't require me to stop what I was doing, store everything properly. If I don't get to something I'll just toss in the freezer and get to it when I get to it and know that it's not going to expire. So yeah, recently, um, about two weeks ago, my mother-in-law got ill. So I had to, my husband was already in Washington state. So it's a thousand mile drive because I have our dog, um, 60 pound dogs, not going to fly on a plane. It would not be a good situation. So I drove and I had that same situation, right? I have these things. I like to buy the, um, the bagged, already cut vegetables with the like teriyaki sauce or something and I mm. throw in sir soy curls or and I also have my favorite teriyaki sauce I'll either make barbecue sauce whatever so I threw those in the veggie or in the freezer and when we came back I was like this 
they work out great. And the nice thing is when you freeze, like I like to get the baby spinach or the baby kills. I'm not like a big fan of the bitter and, you know, tearing them off the, yeah. the stem and just that ugh. anyway, but um, they crumble and you can actually get more greens in your smoothie when you crumble frozen stuff those greens in there um but yeah, anyway those are some of the fun things but you're absolutely right the freezer is a very very helpful thing to to utilize um any ideas or suggestions on let's say um leftovers right so if someone has some some leftovers i know we're doing batch cooking but i know like for instance you know cooking at dinner and then taking it for lunch and mm-hmm. any any across the way like things that you think about big picture wise anyway? Absolutely. I tried to put as many uh, freezer instructions as I could for recipes. So if, if, if it was possible, I did it. And I was very surprised in my recipe testing, how many things can freeze. Usually you think of like soups and lasagnas and things like that, big casserole dishes, but I was freezing burritos and all kinds of breakfast foods. And it, it's, awesome to have those things ready to go for you and have them be hearty and filling and also get you by after a long day of work. If, if I remember I had a, an hour and a half commute each way. And if I didn't have something waiting for me at home, I would make an impulsive decision and just go to Chipotle and get a burrito or something like that. And I want to be thoughtful. I want to be in control of my eating and spending. And having something that's frozen on hand or something that's a big batch of something that's stored or like a a recipe that's stored will prevent me from making those impulsive decisions. And one big tip that I love is if you're the type of meal planner, meal prepper who does the one big pot of something and then eats it throughout the week, try to change it up. So you don't hate that one thing anymore. Like if you do split pea soup, don't eat just the split pea soup every day in in the same style, but make it bland on the first day. The second day, change it up, add maybe some, you can stir in some spinach and um, add some lemon juice and some sriracha and it's got a, a different flavor. And I ladle them into a different bowl so I keep the the main pot bland, and then the next day I ladle it into a bowl. Then the, the following day I will do some nutritional yeast to give it a cheesy flavor, or maybe some hickory smoke to give it a smoky flavor. Uh, then you know how by the end of the week it gets uh, very condensed and no longer soupy. I'll serve that over brown rice and have it more of a porridge. And so there are a lot of ways that you can switch things up to have a different dining experience and not hate the meal that you first started off eating. No, those are great ideas. So I have some uh, questions because you're cooking for someone who's also very, you know, the SOS free diet, because I don't use oil and I've just adapted over the last 11, 12 years to do that. What do you use instead of like, let's say butter or something to that. Can you talk a little bit about some of your substitutes? Mm-hmm. I use, uh, in, in baking, I go with applesauce. Applesauce is pretty good. The conversions are not always exact, so you have to play with it. And the more you do it, the better and more comfortable you'll be finding those conversions that go with 
uh, this type of recipe or that type of recipe, like we'll say bread versus pancakes or something like that. Mm. Uh, and then for my savory food, I usually saute in water or vegetable broth if I want a little bit more flavor. Mm. And, uh, with my books, I have a hundred recipe testers that I work with and every recipe is tested five times. And I have such a diverse group of people working with me. Some people eat fast food for lunch and then make my, my recipes for dinner at while other people are very strict, never eating oil or, or salt or, uh, sugar. So I want to make sure that my recipes will be appreciated by both, both types of people. And, I tried to include the tester feedback as much as I could throughout the recipe. So if someone um, is oil-free, they said, this is how I do it at my in my kitchen. Or mm-hmm. if someone has a big family, and I, I had some testers who were like very Midwestern, mm-hmm. whose families really love their meat and potatoes, uh, they said, this is how I... Um, like I added in some crumbled tofu for that meatier texture to this recipe for my family to enjoy. Mm. And, uh, and so it was really cool incorporating feedback and having the testers tips featured throughout because surely there are other people who have a similar experience. Mm -hmm. I know. I love that because, you know, we can do our best to think about, you know, this is a perfect example of, let's say a physician who's taking care of a patient we may make, you know, thinking we're being thoughtful in our assumptions about what that patient needs or wants, but it really, we don't know until they tell us, or, you know, we can walk in their shoes, which we can't always. And so I love that you're providing opportunities for those with very different lifestyles or different palettes or different circumstances to share in your knowledge, because it's like, they're getting a book written by 101 people, you and (laughs) your testers. So that's fabulous. Thank you. I actually took that same concept and that's how I started my podcast, the Plant Powered People podcast, because I don't have so many experiences. And one that comes to mind immediately is you asked earlier, what if you feed different palates within Mm -hmm. your home? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, to a very small extent, my, my situation, but some people have very, very dramatic differences within their own home. Their children don't want anything to do with the food that they're eating. They're, Mm -hmm. they're now making, or their spouse is not supportive. Mm -hmm. And so we have people on the podcast who have those experiences to share how you can overcome those. And Mm. it's so different me to say that who has no experience with that really, uh, or someone who lives it every day and it it could be overwhelmed, but still has overcome that obstacle. Yeah, no, I, um, cause I'm licensed in all 50 States in DC. I have seen a patient in every single state of this country. And what was really fascinating was to see how they overcame even different geographical locations. So it's not even what's in their home, but what's available. So I had patients in Wisconsin, rural Vermont, in the far reaches of Alaska, you know, who were really making this happen because they they made a choice. So the common thread is someone just said, I'm going to make this work and they find ways to make it work. And so I love that you're providing opportunities for other people to open their minds. It's like, I can make this work. I just have to think outside the box maybe. So 
that's that's a, a lovely way to to approach anything 100 thank so. you I, it's really interesting how many different lifestyles are making it work we've heard yes. from people who have restaurant jobs where they serve people meat meat every day and still choose not to eat it even though they get a free meal on hand they're uh they're choosing to have the chef instead put something different together for them even though it's a, an extra step oh yeah i mean i've i've talked to people who have literally were you know young children you know like in their tweens or teens and decided to go vegan because of animal ethics in their own home where their parents were like no and you know that it really takes some fortitude for some people so it's really fascinating um to see what people are doing and i applaud all their efforts um every every movement we can make towards eating more plants on your plate is it's always a is a good thing so well i promise we'd keep you at the hours including our time talking before we started but where can we find your book where can we find out more about you of course we'll have all the links but i'd like for people who are just listening if it'll it'll stick with them you can find my book at plantbasedonabudgetcookbook.com and i am at plantbasedonabudget across social media platforms awesome and i'm assuming they'll also be on amazon and other things there other platforms Yes. Uh, so, um, um, oh, 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 I'm sorry. Oh, your I understand book. what you're saying. My, yeah, yes. Yeah. My, but my book is available, uh, anywhere you buy books and I have a ton of different links on plant-based on a budget cookbook.com. So they can all go there, see where the links are. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So that's fantastic. So thank you so much for your time, Tony. And is there any final words you'd like to share with the audience? If anybody is struggling, just remember that it is all about progress and not perfection. And even if you make a mistake on accident or on purpose, the next day you can choose plant-based. It's, it's not, uh, an all or nothing thing and it, it'll only benefit you in the long term. I echo everything you just said. So that was wonderful. So thank you again for your time. Everyone check it out. You won't be disappointed. Um, it's a lovely person and a very lovely book. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, and I hope you enjoyed that video. Before you go though, please hit the subscribe and alert buttons so you don't miss out on any of the amazing content we're working so hard to provide you. We upload a new episode of Health and Mora with Dr. Lori Marbus every Friday. Now, if you'd rather listen to the podcast, you can find us on all the major platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and even Spotify. If you're looking for amazing resources to help you start and sustain a plant-based diet, exercise, recipes, or anything wellness, we got you covered there too. Because at Mora, we actually provide physician-led support groups to help people live happier, healthier lives free of metabolic disease. Don't forget to check out our website at mora.com. And thanks again for watching.